Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode is a conversation. I sit down with my friend, Joey Klinger. Joey is the pastor at Redemption Lutheran Church in Philadelphia. He and I have known each other for a long time uh, and have been colleagues when I was in Philadelphia, too. We worked pretty closely together at that time. And Joey, I brought him on because he loves the Lutheran liturgy, and he's really knowledgeable in, in why this is important, and he he just has a lot of really great insights in terms our life of worship and why that matters. So I wanted to bring him on to talk about that. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. We had a lot of fun together and Joey just has some great insights and some great stories that really help us understand, yeah, why do we do church the way that we do? Why does worship look the way that it does? Why does worship matter in the first place? Uh, I even have a couple aha moments just in listening and talking with Joey. Uh, so I hope you do too. As always, thanks so much for listening. It's such a joy um, when people stop in to listen to this podcast. Uh, subscribe, like, uh, leave a comment and a review in the iTunes store. Uh, we would love to have uh, more people find this podcast as we continue to bring cool people on to talk about interesting topics of faith. That's enough of a preamble, though. Let's get right into it now. Here's a conversation with the Reverend Joey Klinger about liturgy. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I am on the line with my friend, the Reverend Joey Klinger. Joey is a pastor of Redemption Lutheran Church, which is in Philadelphia. He and I would get together every week for sermon study, along with some other colleagues when I was out there serving in Philadelphia. And uh, he's just a delight to talk to. We were actually talking before I hit record um, about all sorts of good things, catching up on life. But Joey, are you there? Welcome. I am here. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And so I, I said that you're a pastor um, of a church in Philadelphia, but there's so much more to you than that. What do you want our loyal listeners to know about you? I mean, yes, I am a pastor. I also serve on Synod Council and do a few other things with the Synod, but um, I also enjoy time at home with our two cats and dog. And of course, my husband, Mark. Um, my husband, Mark, is an author. Mark Klinger, you can find him around. Um, oh, nice plug. Yeah, Mark will appreciate that. That's great. Every time. I gotta, I gotta help him out a little. He helps me out. So, I mean, and I will say, real on a quick side note, thank your pastor spouses as much as you thank your pastors. They, they do so much support for their pastors, and they have to live with them. So, just thank the pastor spouses. <laughs> Uh, Amanda will appreciate that little plug as well. Thank you, Joey. Um, but Joey, you're, um, you were really into theater, as I recall, and you're a, an accomplished singer. And I feel like that lends itself too, as well to the topic that I wanted you to talk about today, because I brought, I, you're one of my friends that I know just adores the liturgy, the Lutheran liturgy, the components of it, the musicality of it. And I'm guessing that some of that kind of stems from your love of music as well. So, I mean, just like to, to get a, give the listeners to an idea of some of your accomplishments from the drama and music realm. Yes. And I wouldn't say accomplished. <laughs> I was a it's theater. You're modest. Yeah. I, I, I graduated from Teal College, which is one of our ELCA colleges in um, Pennsylvania um, with a degree in pre-seminary or a degree in history, but pre-seminary. And also my minor was theater. I did theater all through high school and college, and I continue where I can to be involved in theater. I've always found a joy in acting and getting to read great works and do musicals and those kind of things. And I think part of what attracts me to theater and attracts me to the liturgy is how it is something that is defined and wrote. And this is, it's laid out, you have script, but there's also such diversity in how you can do it. You can play a scene 
how many different ways so too with liturgy you can do the same things ah. I think that's where I, I find some of that because I will say I hate improv I absolutely hate doing improv <laughs> I hate having to be like without a net so <laughs> Jane, I love doing theater we'll never do improv but I think again it's this idea in my mind at least that I like having a script I like having a formula um Jane, yeah that, like that makes improv. a lot of that's a really good distinction I never thought about it that way um, that's really funny. Uh, so, because, so the other, the senior pastor here, he and I, um, often do conversational sermons as part of our work here, which yeah. you, I'm sure would drive you crazy because we don't have as much of a script. We just kind of work off one another. I can do that. And I have done it. Pastor Lauren and I did it for um, Christmas Eve the one time, but it's not my first choice. And I would like to plan it a bit more probably than you would. Absolutely. No, that's great. That's great. Well, so, I mean, we're talking about Lutheran liturgy. You've already kind of gotten into it, but it would probably be helpful. That word just gets tossed around so much. And I think some people have a preconceived notion about what that means. So why don't you explain for us what you mean when you say the liturgy? Well, to start with the, the dictionary definition, mm -hmm. liturgy is supposed to be, or what it's defined as, is a form or formula according to which public religious worship, especially Christian worship, is conducted. So liturgy, for me, and I, I lean into that definition, is it's the formula. It's how we do what we do in worship. It's the script, like I said before, Jane. Mm -hmm. We have the Kyrie, and we have the Agnus Dei, and we have the Lord's Prayer, and we have these pieces that we have had for a long time. Jane, it, the liturgy is those pieces to me. Um, yes. And then we can get into how we use those pieces. Before we get into that, because I yes. think I want to ask you a question that I'm guessing you're going to have a response to, because certain people react differently to when I say this. I have heard it said that liturgy also means the work of the people. Yeah. And so that there's some sense of like that this is the work that we do together, you know, and that makes Lutherans uncomfortable because we're like, no works righteousness. It's all about grace. Cool. <laughs> but right now, but like something happens that we are participating in this event. But in the same sense, I also think that the liturgy professor at um, the Lutheran Seminary in Philadelphia, where you attended, was pretty opposed to that definition, if I remember correctly. I, I'm, it's been a while. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I, spot, I you know? don't remember where he stood on it. I would say, I would agree with you that, yes, it is the work of the people together. And again, if you don't want to use work, then maybe praise or worship of the people together. But it is us praising. It is us worshiping. It is us doing the the prayer to our god and we do it in a communal yeah. aspect that is different from our private prayer and our private praise and our private worship it is a communal aspect so i think in some senses yes i would agree it's the work of the people because it's one of the only times we gather as people together to worship together and that's what makes it liturgy that's what makes it worship in that we are all gathered in the same space to do the same thing at the same time if that makes sense that makes total sense no that's really helpful well so Let's get into it then. Talk to me. I mean, what are the reasons that you love liturgy so much? Why is this such a passion of yours? I kind of break it down in three different ways. Okay. First is um, liturgy is ancient. It's, it's more than just old. It's ancient. And you're a history major. <laughs> yes. I get, yes. Yes. There was that. So. Okay. I will also say liturgy is contextual. Liturgy is about where it's being done it's not well we can get into that later or we'll get into that but it's not just about what someone tells you it should be 
it should be reflect the context that it's being done in. Mm-hmm. And then also liturgy is just praise. And I do love to praise God. That's probably why I ended up where I am. Um, I mean, liturgy is yeah. our worship. It's our praise. And we should find joy and hope and doing fulfillment in it in some ways. So that, that's kind of why I, when I was meditating on what I was going to say here, that's where I kept going back to is that it's ancient, that it is contextual and that it is praise. That's great. So yeah, that, and that's really helpful. I think let's, let's break those down too. Cause there's a lot of meat I would think within those three, you know, banners that you've kind of put up here. So, so talk to me about the ancient component. Let's start there. Well, so, what, what do you mean when you say that? Well, it's old. I mean, this stuff is old, older than we think. It has been passed down for generations. I mean, we've been doing some of these texts that are in there with the Kyrie, with the Agnus Dei, those come straight from scripture. I mean, the mm-hmm. words that we sing in those are not just something um, a lyricist came up with. They are prescribed in our holy works. What we're participating in are things that have been done for thousands of years. Um, The connection I always go to or the story that I have recently, I went to um, another ordination. Um, Our our friend, Pastor Kathleen Karen was ordained. Hmm. Um, And there's a moment in the ordination, if you've never been to one, where all the clergy come up and we all lay hands on the person who's about to be ordained and pray and pray for the Holy Spirit to be imbued and pray for their future ministry. And they are ordained in that moment. And that is something that has been done for thousands of years. And there's just this feeling of history and this feeling of connection when you're up there in that gathering, when when you're, when you're participating in that laying on of hands that has been done since the time of the apostles. And we know that the hands, at least the Lutherans, after we joined up with the Episcopal church (laughs) union partnership are in the apostolic succession. We, we have the, the hands that have been laid on since Christ's times, we can trace all the way down through the Catholic Church, Episcopal Church, into the Lutheran Church now. So we are doing the same thing with the same kind of spirit imbued back to Christ's time when we do this. Do yeah, you, that's powerful. That's powerful. Exactly. Do you, and there are moments in our worship where that is, and I don't know how many people always know how old our worship is and how ancient it is. And reason why we hold on to some of these things is because it ties us to the generations before us and it ties us to the Christians before us and it ties us to the Christians around us who are doing the same thing at the same time. So do you, do you know some of the details of um, like exactly how far back I'm trying to remember, I I should know this and I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot too, (laughs) but but some of the liturgical pieces or at least right. The, the form and the rhythm of gather word meal and send that fourfold has been around Oh. Since the fourth century, third century? Yes. Yeah, it was something like that. It's okay. a ridiculous amount of time. And uh-huh. that's why you see, I mean, I know some bulletins, ours has those sections gathering, sending. I mean, these are the meat tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- and those are, we don't just put those there because they're pretty <laughs> or they make sense that we put those there because these are the, the sections that have existed. I mean, I was thinking, what was it? There was one thing we studied in liturgy class, I think it was from like 1100 AD. So, I mean, more modern, but still pretty old of the, the service of Easter um, in, wow. in, um, in the Holy Land at the time, doing them yeah. through the different stations of the cross and everything else they did at the time. And you'd be amazed at how similar it is to what we do today in some ways, because you can identify all those same places doing. And, yeah. and Easter, if you want ancient, is your best time for worship. I don't know if your congregation does the... Um, uh, oh, why did it just leave me? The great the Easter, the Easter vigil. vigil. Yes. 
but if the Easter Vigil is one of our oldest services, I mean, it just, it, it harkens back almost exactly to what they've been doing for, again, thousands of years. And that's why I love it, because going to the Easter Vigil, feeling that sense of ancientness and that sense of connection to all the Christians that have been through this service before is, it's just, it's tingly. Do you know what I mean? It's also really long. Uh <laughs> yes, but it can be. So this will bridge a bit to the next topic, but it doesn't have to be. Have okay, been, great, great. I have been parts of vigils where they don't do the whole thing. You don't have to do all 12 readings. You don't have to do every piece. Yeah, for those of you who vigil. missed that, who didn't realize, yes, there are 12 readings at the normal Easter yes, vigil. At the nor <laughs> and there are some churches that do it incredibly well that you will not realize that you've been sitting for three hours, four hours. There are some churches that you know, they'll put on skits and puppets and you know, they make it an evening of just praise. And then there are other churches that get really dry about it. You know, you, again, it's contextual, <laughs> but it, it should reflect what the the community needs at that time and what the community needs to feel at that time. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, let's talk about the contextual piece of it too, since we're, we're bridging into that. I, I mean, it's one of the things I love about the Lutheran church is that we are really encouraged and allowed to be pretty contextual with our worship. Um, I think about, you know, I have some friends who are Episcopal priests and their liturgy is beautiful, but it's also very stringent. Like it's very hard to sway from the rubrics in any way, shape or form. You have to get like permission from the bishop to do anything kind of outside the norms. Um, and that like that's what I love about the Lutheran church is that we're still committed to this ancient rhythm of worship, but that we recognize that there's some new and unique ways that we can make some of these rhythms come alive. Um, is that what you like when you say liturgy is contextual? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. Because there will be some people who you talk to about liturgy and you talk to about worship in the Lutheran church and across denominations where they they will say, no, this is what worship is, and this is what it has to be for it to be worship, at least to my standards. And I always like to push very hard against that because yeah. I don't agree with that at all. There is no one exact correct way to worship. We, we develop our worship through our traditions, through what we know, and also what our community needs, what our community feels. I, um, the best example I have of this is I attended, and I'm hoping they do this again soon, um, the, the, the liturgy conference for the ELCA. They did it in Atlanta. I, I was still in seminary, so we don't want to know how long ago that was. Um, but they, uh, we got to visit other churches and we got to see a lot of different types of worship and hear speakers and everything. And one of the churches I chose to visit um, was a much more modern style worship, doing praise band, these kind of things downstairs. It was a stage, not really a worship space. And although it's not my preference necessarily for worship, every single piece of the liturgy was there. There was a Kyrie, even though they didn't use the words Kyrie eleison, they used doing more modern language. There mm -hmm. was a Lamb of God. When we did the confession and forgiveness, that piece was there, but it was done in a way where they, they, they took a chain down the middle of the aisle and you tied a sin that you wrote onto the chain and then they hung that chain on the cross. So it was a cool. much more modern view of liturgy but again, it still had all those old pieces that tie us back to what we know. Jane, so you would, when you go through it, it wouldn't necessarily feel exactly like our worship, but it does have all the pieces. And that's what that worshiping community needed. That's how that worship community was connecting with a whole different group of people that they wouldn't normally bring into church. Jane, yes. So are, there's no one right way to do it. It should be contextual to what 
your community is asking for and what they need to worship because it is their worship. It is not my worship as pastor. Am I in charge of it? Yes. Do I want to make sure that certain pieces are included? Yes. Will I always be the one saying, yes, we still need a Kyrie. I don't necessarily care what kind of Kyrie, but we should have a Kyrie. Do you know what I mean? That's where the flexibility comes in. Interesting that you're harping on the Kyrie because there are definitely oh, okay. times within the church here, Joey, oh. where you don't have to sing the Kyrie. I've cut it out too. I, I shouldn't keep harping <laughs> well, on Yeah, that. we've been doing just the hymn of praise and that's good. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's, fine. it's just the word that keeps coming to the front of my head. But <laughs> you know what I mean though. It, it, there, there are certain pieces that we will keep all the time. Yep. The Lord's Prayer will always show up in worship, almost, almost always, no matter what translation you use. It's almost yeah. always going to be there. Do you, That's a good example. I can't think of a time when you'd take out the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. To, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, did we do it on Good Friday? I was just going to ask. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah, you do it at the beginning, right? Maybe. Yeah. I'm trying to, I don't even remember if it's in mine for Good Friday. Um, I don't know. I copied, I honestly copied another church's Good Friday service because they did it so well. Um, <laughs> there is always good room to borrow, in my opinion. Um Absolutely. Well, it's part of the contextual piece, too. You, you borrow exactly. some parts, but then you kind of recast it for your people, your situation. One of the things here at our church here at Bethany that I think is really awesome, we have an incredibly talented director of music who's actually written a decent amount of liturgical pieces. Like he wrote his, oh, own, his own whole communion setting that we use on festivals here at times, um, yeah. you know, other pieces as well. That also, I think that that's a new and unique way if you have the talent and the capabilities to, to make it extremely contextual. It'd be like, yeah, this is our, in our case, this exactly. is the Bethany Lutheran and Church that, worship setting. And it and still that, follows all the pieces, yeah. And that is historical because you look back at some of like the composers and residents that we still use their worship, like Bach or Beethoven, you can go back and they wrote worships, they wrote liturgies that are still used today, but they were written for that congregation. They were not written necessarily for wide publication. Right. I mean, so it, it's historic that you had an in-house person helping produce this music in these settings. And I like to remind people because like when I got to Redemption, um, they had been doing, if you're in the red Cranberry hymnal, the more current- We are, correct. Yes, in the Cranberry hymnal, setting three of that one, which is setting one uh, from the original- the green hymnal, the green hymnal. yeah. They, Redemption had been doing that for years. They never changed. Every now and then they would do a, um, they had a praise band and they do a praise band Sunday, but often that was the setting they kept using. When I got there, I'm like, we're, we have 10 settings in the ELW. I think you have three more in With One Voice. We now have another two, I think, that are added with All Creation Sings. All Creation Sings, yeah. The ELCA, the Lutheran Church, encourages us to change up the settings with the seasons. The idea is that you don't get stuck in a rut, that, doing, that you should ebb and flow with the seasons and try new things. Doing, it, it encourages us to be contextual, not just to stick with the same exact thing. Right. And, and so the pieces are the same. For but, all the Bethany members who might be listening, you know, like this, you were grumbling at the beginning of the summer when we went to that weird tree of life setting for <laughs> the summer, but you learned it yeah. and it's been really good. <laughs> and I will say there are some settings I do not like. Me too. That's <laughs> not to say they're all great, um, at least in my opinion, but there's yeah. some who love them. Do you mean, it's, it's all in, in like, I, what is it? Setting eight, I think is the more like, contemporary modern setting yep that's the dakota road one yeah yeah the dakota road and i have heard that played on organ and it's just not great and i never liked it and then i went to a church that did it with guitar and drums and a more contemporary setting and i was like oh i can get into this mm -hmm. so it also and sometimes is how you hear it 
but I still probably won't be doing the Dakota Road setting at Redemption anytime soon. <laughs> Dane, well, there you go. Dane, but that's the... Dane, you're urged to, to mix and match and to try things and to do different things. Again, hearkening back to our ancient tradition, but these things are all flexible. It's not just one way of doing worship. There's not just one way of worshiping our God. Right. Because I mean, and to, to put a theological point on it, we were, we believe in a God that celebrates and delights in diversity Amen. and in creating a world that is vast and different and diverse in all sorts of different ways. And so it makes sense that worship should, but the cool part, right? Like what you what I hear you kind of saying is there's value in the ancient piece and in like having a formula and a rhythm and a script that we're all kind of following because that ties us to this history of our faith, which is also, you know, talking about the fact that God has a history. God's not just something that we made up last week, but like we know and believe that God is eternal and has been a part of human life, leading people through difficult times and joyful times. And so our worship reflects that while being contextual and creative today, celebrating the diversity of what's there. Exactly. Um, you, you, I'm glad you're understanding this. I hope everyone else does too. exactly <laughs> what I was trying to get at. Because no, I, yeah, I, no, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but I've encountered so many people who, who do, and maybe this is, because, I mean, because I'm a pastor and I have these talks with people, then they say, <laughs> this is what liturgy has to be, or this is what worship has to be. And they're very set on that, you know, they won't change, yeah. or they won't bring in new elements. I and mean, the, the biggest example I have is, um, the number of people that roll their eyes the minute you mention like liturgical dance. And mm -hmm. they dance as liturgy and worship. And yes, I have seen some liturgical dance that wasn't great in my life, but I've also seen some absolutely gorgeous liturgical dance and it can be done beautifully. And even the stuff that wasn't good, it was still praise. The people were still passionate. They were still engaged and they were still feeling something in the Holy Spirit with God. So yeah. Dane, we shouldn't block out these things just because we have an opinion about it. Dane, it yeah. It's still, yeah, an opinion and, an yeah. and a narrow experience as well. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. that's the thing is that there. I think there's a real call, especially as it relates to worship, to try and maintain an open mind mm -hmm. and to recognize like it, not all worship, you know, like not all it's not going to work for everyone. Exactly. Um, yeah. But you might like you were saying with the with the setting eight, like you, there it might have just been the way it was presented that one time mm -hmm. that you experienced it. And there might be a really more meaningful way for that to um, be conveyed for you. Exactly. Yeah. So the last, I want you to get to your last point though. And cause I think this is a really important one. You said liturgy is praise. Yes. And I really want to hear too, you kind of talk about why that's important. And cause one of the questions that I actually hear a decent amount, again, since I'm a, a pastor and a nerd like you who has these conversations a lot, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that, you know, I hear a lot of people being like, why do, like, why do I have to worship, right? Like God doesn't like, is God really just waiting around for me to tell God how great, you know, uh, to how great I think God is. So what do you, yeah. Talk to us why the, that's important to say that liturgy is praise and, and why praise and worship inherently are important. I think part of that, this point came from some of those discussions I have with people who are so rigorous about what worship is it just feels like you're forgetting this isn't an academic exercise. Like <laughs> what we're doing is not, it is theological. Yes, it's so an academic good. aspect, but it's not, it's so cold when you talk about it. This is, uh -huh. this is our worship. This is how we praise God. And th these are the tools we use to do that because God deserves praise. And 
there, there's always been a joy in me since I've been, I mean, I remember being five years old, sitting in the pew, trying to read the hymnal, even though I couldn't necessarily get all the words at the time to sing along. I've just always found joy in praise and singing and in that communal aspect of worship that I can't find anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And it's unique in that way. In what we do on Sunday mornings is not something we do anywhere else in our lives. Yeah. It's praise and it's worship and it's communal. And that's what's important about liturgies. It gives us the tools to do that praise. It gives us the tools and the, the comfort, at least for me, to go into worship knowing a bit of what's coming, knowing and understanding what I'm getting into, but also being open to what I can find in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I love that you said the comfort piece, because I feel like that's so important and, and often missed too. Um, it, it, it's what liturgy allows us to have it, is yep. a sense of comfort, is a sense of rhythm, even if it looks a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I, I, I do have a theory that you can't really appreciate liturgy until you do it for 20 years <laughs> which, yeah. which makes evangelism for lutheran churches so difficult um but like, because like when you build up that that memory and like you have this connection with these songs like you were saying like you remember some of the songs that you are now helping lead the congregation in on a sunday morning you remember stumbling through as a five-year-old sitting next to your parents Exactly. Um, that's beautiful. And that's, you know, th- that's some of my experience too, is I remember, you know, like the, oh, what is it? The post-communion canticle. We don't sing that one very often. That's one that often gets cut, but the yeah, done it in a thankful while. hearts and royces, mm-hmm. like I remember like that has a, a, a triggering, not, not, not triggering in a bad way, but like yes. that takes me immediately back to the church of my childhood to mm-hmm. sitting in church next to my parents because it was the cue for me to put my shoes back on because it meant church was almost over. Yep, yep, yep. But even still, like, when I hear that song, like, it's an appreciation as funny as, like, the memory is attached to it. It's like, yeah, like, this has been a part of who I am since and, I was a kid. And it's a part of my family. And the other point that we didn't exactly get into is we talk a lot about the music and liturgy. We talk a lot about the Lord's Prayer and the praise. It's also where we get the word of God. It is scripture yeah. built into that. And I think for me, having comfort around the liturgy and knowing what the, lit- like the, the music pieces will be and those kind of things opens me up to hear the word better and to hear maybe the challenge in the sermon better. Because yeah. I'm not saying you should be challenged every week in church, but certainly there are times when the preacher has to challenge the congregation, when there is a challenging thing. And I'm more open to hearing that challenge when I know what's around it if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Dean, I can, I can relax into it a bit more than Dean, being on edge because I don't know the song and then being more on edge because the pastor is telling me about some difficult issue. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, liturgy helps get us in a place where we can hear the word of God and hear the gospel preached, even if that's a challenging gospel or an, an, a, a more law-filled um, sermon, if you will. Dean. Yeah, that's no, because I mean, the, I really appreciate that, Joy. That's a fabulous point because the, the, the purpose of the gospel, as Luther would say, is to convict us. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, so the purpose of the law is to convict, to convict. us, and, then, yeah. and, the, and the gospel is to, um, you know, help free us from that conviction in a lot of ways. Like, but, but, but anyway, I'm rambling now. <laughs> but, but a lot of the time, right, like when we read scripture, when we are um, hearing the word of God proclaimed, the whole point is that it will change us. Exactly. 
that it'll change our perspective, that we'll hear something maybe that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, but that is moving us in a a hopeful direction, you know, God's hope for our life type of direction. And so to say, yeah, that like, that's why I'm I'm rambling here because you you, like (laughs) created a light bulb moment for me in the way you said that we need the liturgy to kind of help package all of that <laughs> but is it Dietrich Dietrich Bonhoeffer he, I in seminary I took a class on Dietrich Bonhoeffer Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian during the Nazi regime um he was so some of our loyal listeners had to listen to a really long podcast with my friend Tim when he talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer okay. well, so they, right. they, they you know some of, of them might know yes and what people don't <laughs> often read and what I did when I was in seminary when I was in the Dietrich Bonhoeffer class I did my final paper on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's views on the liturgy which again, most people don't delve into, but in his book, Life Together, and in a few, a lot of his other writings, he does talk about worship and worship practice and what worship should be. And he talks in one section about how to read scripture in worship. And he talks about hitting the balance of, you don't want to be so monotone and so boring that people tune you out, that they don't listen. But you also don't want to be so interesting and flamboyant and doing over the top that people start seeing you instead of the words you're saying. And it's about finding that, that middle ground of how can people hear the word without getting in the way of it. And I think our liturgy is in the same kind of response to that. Jane, we want things that are praiseful and worshipful, but that doesn't turn it back on ourselves or turn it back onto how good I sing as pastor, but instead is praise. And instead is brought about as praise in the same way with how we read the scripture Jane that, it is hurt yeah. in a good way. Doing, and I always thought yeah. that was an interesting way to talk about that balance doing with him that I Absolutely. had not, I had not read it just kind of put out that way before. Um, well, and hearing you, yeah, hearing you talk about it too, I think about the ways that worship really is inherently um, as a, as a baseline, it is an invitation to let go of some of your ego because mm-hmm. you are, you, you are taking the stance that you are worshiping, of uh, an entity that's better than you (laughs) you know you are reminding yourself the the phrase i say a lot here that people are sick of me saying god is god and we are not amen And we start worship with a confession to admit that to ourselves and to others but really every act of praise is an act of saying god is god and i am not and so it's interesting just you're you're helping me connect these pieces is that yes yeah, the liturgy is built so that we'll start to let go of our ego so that then maybe we can hear what god actually has to say to us without feeling you know um bruised or yeah conflicted or whatever else it might be exactly and, and what we should mention too is that as pastors there are definitely times when we fail in our preaching to let go of our own ego. You oh, know, I don't, I don't want to just yeah, put this on the yeah. worshiper to be like, you got to yeah, let go no. of your ego so you can hear what I've been trying to tell you all along. Like, no, I'm just as guilty as you are. Yes. There, there are times <laughs> because we are just as human. I mean, we are, as, as Luther would say, we are set aside for this task, but we are just as human. We are mm-hmm. not perfect. Um, and that's again, getting back to liturgy is contextual. It's never going to be perfect praise. It is beautiful praise. We do our best as humans doing and we bring what we can doing. So don't, in, like, I, I, some people get so worried, like, when I have worship assistants things who are like, I didn't, I held the book on the wrong side or I didn't put this down in the right place. I'm like, Jesus is not going to get mad at <laughs> Jesus will still show up in communion. Like, we're still worshiping here. Jane, there is room 
for some doing yeah improv as much as I hate. <laughs> there is room for that too. There is room to breathe in the liturgy too. And we need to remember that, that it doesn't have to always be so perfect. Um, yeah. And some would argue that because we're praising God, we have to make it as perfect as possible. And I can kind of understand that argument, but I also don't think because we're all human, we're never going to, we're never going to replicate that perfect worship we will have when we're finally with our creator. Yeah. And if you're, if you're too focused on the perfection of it, then it's about yourself. Yes. Yeah. yeah like the, the focus on the perfection yeah. takes you away from, um, yeah, letting go of, of yourself and your own ego and what you need. And yeah, it just takes you out of a worshipful mindset, I would think. Um, but you do it well. I mean, that's, yeah. we're really committed to that here at Bethany too, of like, we will, you know, we always put a lot of work and it's really, it's really kind of cool to see. I don't even know if the listeners realize this, but I mean, Pastor Gary, the senior pastor, he's been ordained for 30 years. I've been ordained for 10, but if you show up on a Sunday morning early, you will see both of us walking through the parts of the liturgy and practicing it. You know, we've done this for decades, every single Sunday, but we want to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward. And it's not out of a pursuit of perfection, um, but it's a pursuit of like just giving this the honor and the attention that it needs. Well, and like if I'm up there and I forget the words of institution, that's going to pull someone out of worship. And they're going to say, yeah. oh, I got something instead of hearing the words of institution and that Christ is present in this thing. So it, it, it's also, a, I don't want to say it's not a performance, but it requires some rehearsal so that people can hear and connect. And yeah. I think the overall message here is doing uh, there are always the arguments like high liturgy versus low liturgy and all that high uh, to explain real quick. High liturgy would be like your really smells and bells incense in kind of worship. And then low liturgy would be kind of like what I described with the, um, the guitars and the modern worship. Uh, and I hate those terms too, because low implies less than when it's not doing that that's yeah. that there's an inherent problem just in those terms but i don't know how else to put it um doing where however you're doing worship be it high or low be it doing following exactly what the lutherans or lutheran worship is or if you are episcopalian you're following those models as long as it's feeding your context as long as people are connecting with god in it then it is good worship yeah. it is good liturgy if it is bringing you to God, if it is connecting you to these ancient things and these ancient practices, it is good liturgy if you can feel like you are praising God while you're doing it. That's what makes good liturgy, not, not the, what exactly is being done, but how you feel doing it and how the pieces are used together. Amen, huh? Pastor Joey. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect point to end us off. Um, no, what a delight. Uh, thank you so much for just taking time and sharing your wisdom with us and your passion for this. This was really a lot of fun. Uh, loyal listeners, I hope that you appreciated it too. We're going to have to bring Pastor Joy back on again. He's good at this. We can uh, do that. And we, I, I know other things sometimes. So we'll, we'll figure out another topic, but I'd love to come back sometime. I really appreciate you having me on. You got it, Joey. Take care of yourself. Thanks for your time. Thank Stay you. in peace, everyone. <laughs>